morning. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say, well, just a reminder, uh, it is Holy Week this week. And so today uh, we, we do remember Palm Sunday and, and as the triumphant entry into Jerusalem. But then just five days later, that same crowd, many from that same crowd would be yelling, crucify him. So on Good Friday, we'll have time to reflect, to take communion together, to reflect on what Christ accomplished for us. And then on Sunday, we will celebrate that we serve a risen king, one who is not dead, but one who still reigns. I also want to give you one other reminder. Uh, So in the past, uh, for the first few years of my ministry, we had the reading plan was tied to the sermons. And some people have been saying, I feel, I feel like not prepared for the sermon because now our reading plan isn't tied to the sermon. It's, it's reading through the New Testament. So I would just want to point you to the back of your sermon notes. Um, we, we redid these a little bit. So every uh, week there's a chance for you to go back and look at the passage from today's sermon, uh, maybe tonight, tomorrow, sometime later this week, to remind yourself and think through of what you learned and, and what God taught you through it. But then there's also a time to prepare for next week's sermon. So it has the passage that we'll be studying and ask questions like what things stand out? What questions do you have? And so maybe as you're reading, you have a question that comes to your mind you don't know the answer to. And and maybe when you come that next week when I preach, you go, oh, there's the answer. So I just want to encourage you to utilize those and that will help you uh, hopefully get more out of the sermon each week. So let's pray and then we'll begin. Dearly Father, Lord, we're so humbled that we can sing the hymn of heaven. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That along with the angels and all the saints from all the years, we can sing praises to you, Lord. And we're just so thankful for that privilege and honor that we have each and every week. Lord, we're thankful to live in a country that is free, where we can come and gather without fear of being arrested or persecuted, and we can study your word together. We thank you for our time each week to open your word and and to ask the question, Lord, what do you have from us today from your word? Change us, transform us, renew our minds. Lord, today as we open to Romans 8, my favorite chapter in the scriptures, I just pray that it will impact us. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. So, uh, sometimes it is hard to have victory over something that's difficult. Today is the first Sunday in April, so it now marks three full months of 2023. And uh, I don't know if you're a New Year's resolution person, but maybe you're looking back and you're remembering what your resolution was. You're going, okay, I still got nine months to work on that. Often we try to set goals in areas of our life that that we know are hard or areas that that we know should change. You know, we want to eat healthy, but unhealthy food is cheaper, it's easier to access, and often, frankly, it tastes better. We want to work out, but we find ourselves tired after a long day at work. We want to save money and pay off debt, but we find ourselves at the end of the month, oh, we've blown our budget again. We want to stay organized, and yet when we come home, our house is still full of clutter. We want to read our Bible and pray every day, but we find it easier to make excuses because of how busy our lives are. We want to read more books and grow as a person, but we find it easier to just 
flip on the TV and mindlessly watch whatever is on. We want to stop a habit that we know is bad for us, but we find ourselves continuing to do it, even though we know it'd be better for me if I stopped. See, it's often hard to make good choices about things that we know we should do. It's often hard to have victory in areas of our life that are naturally a struggle. But what about sin? Do you have victory over sin? Are you actively fighting against the sin in your life? Is there sin in your life that right now you're excusing or ignoring, trying not to think about it? Do you believe that you can have victory over sin? Or do you feel like you're always going to give in to temptations? See, because of our sinful nature, sin comes naturally to us. In fact, if we're not vigilant, we can easily slip into patterns of sin that we don't even recognize. Maybe selfishness in our relationships, harshness with our kids, unforgiveness with our spouse, bitterness towards our boss, a daily life that doesn't acknowledge God or seek his help. I found Romans 7 and 8 to be a beautiful picture of the struggle that we often face as Christians, but then the victory we can have and we can attain through the Holy Spirit. See, in Romans 7, Paul writes, For what I want to do, I do not do. What I hate, I do. If I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. And as it is, it is no longer myself that I myself that do it, but sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. Maybe you found that true in your life sometimes, that you you feel like, okay, I want to do this thing, but why is it such a struggle? Why is it? so hard. I don't want to respond to my wife that way, and yet sometimes I just explode. I don't want to keep looking on that stuff on the internet, but I find myself giving into temptation. I don't want to hold on to the sins of a past partner and put those effects on my spouse. I don't want to let go of this anger, but it's so hard. It can be hard to walk in victory, and it can be easy to walk in our sinful nature. Paul continues in Romans 7. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. Now, some have argued that Romans 7 is talking about, Paul is talking about himself back when he was a Pharisee and trying to find righteousness through the law. But Later in chapter 8, we find that someone who does not know Jesus cannot delight in God's law. And so I really think Paul is talking about this struggle that we all experience of fighting against the flesh, of putting to death our sinful nature. Verse 23, he says, But I see another law at work within me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man am I? Who can rescue me from this body? that is subject to death. Notice Paul says, who? Paul doesn't say, what can I do to rescue myself? What changes can I make? Paul recognizes that true freedom only comes from a person, not from an action. And so he says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Our hope our victory 
comes through Jesus Christ. And so when Paul transitions into Romans 8, he's going to show that victory is not only possible, it is the life of a believer. He summarizes chapter 7 with this. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. He describes this battle, this thing that we've all experienced. We all, those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, we have a new nature. We delight in the Lord and in His Word. We want to follow Him. And yet we still experience temptation and sin and struggle. Galatians 5, Paul puts it this way. So I say, walk by the Spirit. That's how we're called as believers uh, to walk. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So it's through the Spirit that we have this victory. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you're not to do whatever you want. He recognizes as believers, we always have this continual conflict. We're called to walk in the Spirit, walk through the power of the Spirit. We're called to allow God to give us victory in our lives, but there's always going to be this battle, because we still have a sinful nature. See, Romans 7 is all about the law. The law is mentioned 31 times, whereas the Holy Spirit is only mentioned once. We can't find righteousness just by doing good works. But in chapter 8, Paul transitions to the power of living in the Holy Spirit. And in the first 27 verses, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 18 times by name. Because that is where we have our victory. In the struggle against sin, the difference between victory and defeat is the presence of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, it would be impossible for us to live a life of victory over sin. In our new Connections class that we do uh, every year, we talk about the different uh, tenses of salvation. One, there's a past tense. We were saved from the penalty of our sin. And Pastor John talked about that last week. Two, there's a present tense. Right now, we are being saved from the power of sin. God gives us victory through the Holy Spirit. And then there's a future tense that we sung about today. There will be a day where now we'll be saved from the penalty of sin and the power of sin, but we'll be saved from the presence of sin. When we're with Christ in heaven, there'll be no more sin, no more shame, no more hardship, no more death, no more sickness. There will be no presence of sin. But right now, we are in the presence of sin. We live in a fallen and broken world. Last week, Pastor John talked about the power of our identity. And he talked about in Romans 8, 1-4, how we're saved from the penalty of sin. Let's just read that real quick as a reminder. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free. What a good truth set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And and John last week gave us three words and three pictures. And here was the first one. We were slaves to sin. We were completely separated by God. 
And God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us, to buy us out, to pay the penalty of our sin, so that we were bought with a price and adopted into God's family. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because we've been redeemed. The second picture was this. Sacrifice. Propitiation. Jesus took our place. Because our sin deserved death and the wrath of God. And yet Jesus was our sacrifice. He took our place. He took our punishment. By His wounds we are healed. And so then we have been made right. And lastly, it is the courtroom justification. I love the word justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. I am able to go to heaven completely clean because Christ paid the penalty for my sin. The punishment that was on us was put on Him. We should have been declared guilty. And yet, Jesus said, I'll take their punishment and sin and took our place so that we could be declared right. So we can say there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. And so we've been saved from the penalty of our sin. But we are being saved from the power of our sin. Now what I want to do today is we're going to be looking at Romans 8, 5 to 13. And what I'd like to do is it's, it's one kind of flowing argument. And so what I'd like to do is, is read the whole section, point out kind of the big picture, and then we're going to go back and, and, and I want you to see some really crucial things from this. So Romans 8, 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though our body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. We go to this chart here. Paul is comparing these two things. Life according to the flesh and life according to the Spirit. Now it's important this distinction is not... Some people take this chapter and they try to put three categories in there. And they put one category of someone who's not a believer, one category of someone who is a believer, and they add a third category of a believer that's, that's... living according to the flesh but we have a new identity so paul is not talking he's saying basically this if you are saved by jesus this is your category and if this is who you are then you are not truly saved you're not truly a follower of jesus christ because we have the spirit so those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the flesh and that leads to death the ultimately ultimate result of pursuing all our own things leads to death but the mindset of the spirit leads to life and peace. Those who live according to the flesh are hostile to God. They don't submit to God's law. They can't submit to God's law, and they cannot please God. But if the Spirit of God lives in you, if you're living according to the Spirit, you belong to Christ. Not only is Christ in you, the Holy Spirit is in you. 
Those who live according to the flesh do not belong to Christ, and their body is subject to death. But those who live according to the Spirit, the Spirit is in you, and God has given life to your mortal bodies. And he concludes by saying, we have a new obligation, not to live according to the flesh, which results in death, but to live by the Spirit, to put to death the misdeeds of the body. Throughout these verses, Paul contrasts the life of someone who's saved and the life of someone who's not. I have a cup here, and actually I'm kind of thirsty, but there's nothing there. What Paul is saying is someone who doesn't have the Holy Spirit, someone who doesn't have Jesus, they have no ability to please God, to do God's will, to live for God, because there's nothing to pour out. They don't have the Holy Spirit. It is impossible for them to do those things. One of the uh, pastors I really respect, he says that holiness is a work of the Holy Spirit. And see, when we, we think about this comparison, sometimes it's hard for us to recognize, but for any of you that have worked in the secular field, you, you, you recognize it pretty quickly. Uh, when I was a manager uh, in sales, uh, one of my bosses, um, their goal as an office was to try and get me to curse. And they weren't ever successful, but they wanted to try and do that. Secondarily, they wanted to, uh, they would always invite me to lunch at Hooters. I'm like, no, I'm not going to go to lunch there. And they're like, why? It's just a restaurant. I'm like, it's not just a restaurant. And they're like, well, and my boss would always be, well, the girls look better when they leave than when they're in the restaurant. I'm like, that's not the point. You're still looking at the girls. That's the point. I don't want to do that. And then they, they would say that, you know, when I was engaged, they'd be like, Phil, I don't get it. You're committed to your fiance. You're going to get married. Like, why are you guys choosing not to have sex? That doesn't make any sense to me at all. I'd say, well, because God designed sex for marriage. So I want to honor God. And he's like, I don't get it. I'm like, I know. That's okay. <laughs> it's okay that you don't get that. But because God has, has given us, you know, his word to, to live by, and the outside world won't get that. It won't make sense to them. But as Christians, we, we understand what it looks like to, to live by the Spirit. Going back to verse 5, he says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Uh, it's this idea of this disposition towards the flesh. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. In Colossians, it talks about setting your minds on things above. I think as Christians, there is a real sense that we're called to completely align our minds. In Romans 12, it says, Do not be conformed by the patterns world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. There's this sense that as Christians, we are to orient our mind about spiritual things. As Christians, we've been saved, redeemed, adopted, and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So we have different motivations and a different purpose. But those who've rejected Christ will naturally focus on the desires of the flesh. Now that doesn't mean that people that you know who aren't saved don't do things that are noble or worthy or helpful. But just that their motivations are marred marred by sin. In the words of John Stott, the expressions here are descriptive. In both cases, their nature determines their mindset. Moreover, since the flesh is our twisted human nature, 
It desires are all those things which pander to our ungodly self-centeredness. Since the Spirit is the Holy Spirit himself, however, his desires are all those things which please him, who loves above all else to glorify Christ, that is to show Christ to us and to form Christ in us. So it's this idea of intentional thought, attention, desire, and purpose. He continues, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. There are eternal consequences to this. There are two paths. One that loves God and submits to Him, and one that does not. See, our sinful nature is what separates from God. God is holy and just. Romans three twenty three. For all have sinned, or for the, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans six twenty three. For the wages of sin is death. Our sin separates us from God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God offers the gift of His Son. And when we accept His Son, when we believe in His Son, we have a new nature which leads to life and peace. That's why we can sing when life is hard, that there will be a day when we'll all bow before the Lord. We'll all sing, Holy is the Lord. We can have hope. We can have true life. Jesus said, I've come to give you life, life to the fullest, abundant life. Verse 7, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. This is an attitude of God that's governed by the flesh. It's an animosity toward God and His law. We see this evidence everywhere in our culture. Animosity toward the Christian sexual ethic. Animosity toward the Christian view of marriage. Animosity towards the Christian view of holiness. Animosity toward the Christian lifestyle. Just this last week, uh, a horrible tragedy happened at a Christian school. And uh, many people said, you know, send their prayers. And, and, and what happened was a lot of people said, your prayers are useless. That was what, now I know what they're trying to say is that they're desiring some kind of action. But the point is, prayers are never useless. The outside world doesn't see the power of prayer and what it accomplishes in this world. And because they're governed by flesh, they cannot submit to God's law or please God. They can't fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. They can't do that by doing enough good things. There's no way to attain righteousness apart from Jesus Christ. Someone can't be a good enough person to get to heaven. It's only through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now, interestingly, Paul has been talking in the third person plural about those who have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but now he's going to transition his audience to the church. He says, you, you, you believers, those of you who put your faith and trust in Christ, those of you who have the Holy Spirit, you are not in the realm of the flesh. This isn't something we go back and forth between, the realm of the Spirit and the realm of the flesh. If we are adopted into God's family, we are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If you have the Spirit of God, if you put your faith and trust in Christ, you've received the Holy Spirit, then you are in a different realm. He says, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. In other words, if you're a believer... 
You have the Spirit. There are some denominations, Pentecostal and Charismatic denominations, that say you, you get saved, but you don't receive the Holy Spirit until you speak in tongues. But there, that doesn't say that anywhere in the Scriptures. The moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you receive the Spirit of God. He lives in you. You've been permanently adopted into His family. You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. But not only that, the Spirit of Christ is in you. In John 14, Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another advocate, that's the Holy Spirit, to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. So Jesus said, I'm going away, but I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to help you. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. But the crazy thing about the Trinity is this. In Matthew 28, Jesus says to His disciples, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. See, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, but God exists as a Holy Trinity. It's one essence and three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In the words of one theologian, what the Father does, He does through the Son. What the Son does, He does through the Spirit. And indeed, wherever each is, there the others are also. There's this beautiful picture that we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, but we are in Christ, and Christ is in us. Verse 10. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. Now, this righteousness is not our righteousness. It's the righteousness of Christ. So even though our body is subject to death, the effects of a sinful world are all around us, and we experience it every day. My hair fell out. Not because of my sin particularly, but because I live in a sinful world, my body is decaying. Yesterday I did yard work. I woke up this morning and my shoulder was like, what did you do? My shoulder was mad at me. After two shoulder surgeries, I can't even bowl without my shoulder being like, what did you do? See, our bodies start to break down. In fact, sometimes, have you ever had that time where you like fell asleep and you woke up the next day and you're like, I'm injured and I don't know how that happened? Like you, you were completely fine. You didn't do anything the next day. You woke up and your back hurt. And you're like, I don't know what I did when I was sleeping. Sandy, was I wrestling something? What happened? Dr. Moore, uh, Dr. Lloyd-Jones put it this way. The moment we enter into this world and begin to live, we also begin to die. Our bodies break down. Our bodies are subject to death. The older we get, the more the reality is that our bodies are breaking down. The things that I could do when I was 20, I can no longer do anymore. But as Christians, we have a hope because even though the body is subject to death, Christ raised from the dead. In verse 11, it says this, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Now notice this phrase over and over again. And over again, in you, in you, in you, in you. What makes the difference in our life? It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. The same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Second Corinthians 15, <clears throat> Paul wrote this. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown, that's our body right now, is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It's sown in dishonor. 
but it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, but it's raised in power. It's sown a natural body, but is raised a spiritual body. There will be a day where the body won't break down anymore. We'll have a new in the new heavens and new earth. Our body will be restored. We won't have any weaknesses. We won't be perishable. We won't experience sickness, pain, trauma, and we'll dwell with Christ forever in eternal bliss. So then what should we do with that? Verse 12, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh. It's to live, to live according to it. There are different things in our life that make us feel like we have an obligation. Uh, for me, like uh, back in the day when Krispy Kreme used to have a light on, I don't even know if they do that after COVID. You're driving by, they have the light on. You can go in and get a free donut. But I felt an obligation. If I'm taking, this, this, is, this is a true obligation, not because I wanted more donuts, but I felt guilty to take a free donut. So I had to go and buy a donut so I didn't feel guilty. It's the same when we stop at the bathroom, uh, like, you know, on a travel, we're traveling. If I don't get gas at a gas station, we stop there to use the bathroom. I feel like I have an obligation to buy something. I'm using their service, and so I buy a Snickers bar. And it's not because I like Snickers. I don't know why all these stories end up with me buying desserts. But the point is, there are different things. If someone gives you a great gift, sometimes you feel like an obligation to be reciprocal. But, but what Paul is saying here is we have an obligation. That's true. We do have an obligation. But it's not to the flesh. Our obligation has changed. In verse 13 he says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. He says, look, there are two paths. A life submitted to the sovereign God of the universe or a life rejecting that same God that created you for a purpose. One ends in eternal death. The other ends in eternal life. So last week we looked at how we can be saved from the penalty of sin. This week, as a reminder, we're being saved from the power of sin. And later in the series in Romans 8, we'll look at how we can be, how we will be saved from the presence of sin. But as you see this, this, this struggle between flesh and spirit, I want to give three, op, three observations. First, salvation by, is by grace through faith. Paul says, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Romans 3 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. Salvation does not come by works. God doesn't look down on the earth and find the people that are the most moral, that have accomplished the most good things, and say, I choose you because you're, you balanced the scales. You had more good than, than bad. No. All of us are in balance. God is holy and just, set apart, sovereign. The only way to get righteousness is not by us doing enough good things to somehow attain it on our own, but by us recognizing that we are broken, fallen sinners, and we need a Savior. Jesus, on Friday, we're going to celebrate. and We're going to gather and we're going to participate in communion to remember what Christ did. Then on Friday, our, our Savior was brutally beaten, mocked, stripped of His clothes. His garments were, 
People gambled over his garments. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They made him carry his own cross, and he was so beaten that he couldn't even do it, and they took him off to Golgotha, and they hung him on the cross where he died of suffocation because he was too weak to get up to exhale in just a few hours. He did that so that we can say there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus the law of sin and death has been put away. Jesus act on the cross redeemed us from slavery to sin, set us free. It paid the penalty of our sin that was supposed to be on us. It was on Him. He experienced the wrath of God on that moment on the cross as He paid the price of our sin. And we are now justified because the righteous requirements of the law that we could not attain have been attained by Him because He lived a perfect and holy life and died in our place. So Paul says there's two paths, life in the flesh or life in the spirit. Octavius Winslow wrote a book on Romans 8, and in it he wrote a story that I'm going to paraphrase. There was a distinguished law professor, and he had a student in his class. And this student was the top of the class. This student didn't do anything for fun. He just took all of his time to study. And he was at the top of his class. And he was the best in his class. And one day, the professor asked him, What are your plans for life? And this student said, Well, I am going to graduate valedictorian. And I'm going to get my degree. And I'm going to get hired at a prestigious law firm. And the professor said, And then? Well, and then I'll, I'll win lots of cases, and, and I'll, I'll raise, and I'll get a promotion. And the professor said, and then? He said, then, well, then I'll, I'll be very rich, and I'll, I'll be highly esteemed in my community, and I can live in a beautiful house with a beautiful wife and, and have a great life. And the professor said, and then? He said, now I'll retire on a beach somewhere, very rich, and just enjoying my life. The professor said, and then? He said, well, and then I'll die. The professor said, and then? He said, and then? Yeah, and then? And that law student looked at his professor confused and went away conflicted because he had never thought about what happens after this life. I don't know when I'm going to die. God knows. I could live to be 102, 91, 83, or 41. It could be this year. No one knows when we're going to die. But I know when I die what my end then is. The moment I pass from this earth, I will be with my Savior. And then I will worship Him forevermore surrounded by saints and angels. I will live a life with no sin, no pain, no suffering. I will be free. I not only be saved from the penalty of sin, I'll be saved from the power of sin, I'll be saved from the presence of sin. See, salvation is a gift by grace 
through faith. Number two, there is power in our identity. Last week, John talked about the power of identity. But today I want to talk about the power in our identity because we are in Christ. We have the power to deny the flesh, the power to have victory over sin, the power to walk with God, the power to live a righteous life. Our power isn't in our morality. There are lots of people that try to be moral and live good lives. Our power isn't in our effort. If you're here today and you're struggling with sin, you're like, I'm just going to try harder. You're going to struggle to have victory over that sin. Because Christianity is about a relationship with Jesus. And that is where the power is. If you want to fight against sin, the most effective way to do it is to spend time with your Savior every day, to build a relationship with Him, to listen to His Word, to allow it to change you. God changes us as we spend time with Him. And the Holy Spirit is what gives us power to fight against sin. It's not about try harder, do better. The power is found in that relationship, the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. Number three, we have the ability to walk in that power. Romans 7 paints this bleak picture where at the end, Paul says, Who will rescue me from this body of death? And he answers with this, Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. We can have victory. We are in Christ. The Holy Spirit is in us. Christ is dwells in us. In Galatians 5, Paul makes the distinction between the flesh and the spirit. He says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. And you're like, well, those don't describe me. Well, how about these? Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. What Paul is saying is that we, we know the, the things in our life that we need to put to death. And, and just as Jesus was crucified on the cross our behalf, we're to crucify, we're to put to death those things of the sinful nature. And then we are instead to follow God. Now it's interesting. These are called the fruits of the Spirit. What does that mean? That means this is the result of a life lived with God and lived in the Spirit. These are fruits. You, know, you can't just make a fruit. What do you, what do, you do? You, you plant a tree and, 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 and you water the tree. We're connected to the source of life. We're connected to Christ. We have the ability to walk 
in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, or the Bible says in James, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. So if you don't have wisdom, ask God. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Our power is in the Holy Spirit, not on our own effort. Romans 15.13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Before we were saved, we were completely empty. But when we get saved, we're filled by the Holy Spirit. Now, the Bible talks about two different fillings. One is we will always have all the Holy Spirit um, in us. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we have the day of, we have the Spirit for till we die. Um, but there's also this idea of being filled with the Spirit. It's, it's a different concept. It's this idea of walking with God. When we did Colossians, uh, one of the favorite examples I read was um, where it talks about Jesus as fully God and all the fullness of the deity dwells in Christ. And we talked about the idea that when I go to the ocean, you know, all I can do is take a cup of the ocean, and then my cup is filled with the ocean. But I can't take all of the ocean and put it in my cup. And yet, God was fully divine. Jesus was fully divine. He had all of the fullness in Himself of the deity of God. He was fully God, 100% God. And yet, at the same way, I can fill my cup and be full of the Spirit. But there are times where that pours out of me. And so I need to continually fill my life with God. I need to continue to build that relationship. In the, in the words of uh, John 4, Jesus said, I am the living water. And, and we, we have this concept. Uh, Jesus also said, I am the vine. You are the branches. And we need to be connected to the vine, connected to the source of life. We need to continually fill ourselves with the Holy Spirit. So today, as you leave, I don't want you to leave thinking, okay, there's certain areas of my life that I'm struggling in, so I just need to try harder. And there, there is, I mean, Paul said, I make every effort to do these things. So there is an element of, of trying harder. That, that's good. But I want you to remember something. The power is not in the trying. The power is in the Holy Spirit. Christ is in you. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. If you want to have victory over sin and struggle, it's time to surrender to Him. Spend time with Him. Allow Him to change you. And then you have the victory to have power over sin. Because the power is not in the effort. The power is in the person of Jesus Christ. And we have the Holy Spirit. He dwells with us. So let's walk in that power. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we read through Romans 7 and 8, sometimes we see our own selves and our own struggle against sin. Many of us have a natural inclination towards different responses. Maybe for us, we naturally respond in anger. Or we're naturally skeptical of someone. Or we're naturally bitter. Or wherever it is, Lord. We know that we need to put to death the sinful nature. But Lord, we know we have the power and ability to do that, not just by trying harder, 
Lord, but by surrendering to you, by allowing, by building a relationship with you, by asking you to work through us, by by helping, by, by being with you so that you can produce in us the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and all the other ones, Lord, that, that those would be produced by a relationship with you. Lord, help us not to lose focus. That true life, true satisfaction, true fulfillment, true peace, and yes, Lord, even true victory comes through you. In your name we pray.